Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Principal Baruti Kafeli has spent two decades as a highly influential urban educator in New Jersey. Among 150 educational, professional, and community awards, Principal Gafeli has received the New Jersey Education Association Award of Excellence, the National Alliance of Black School Educators Hall of Fame Award, and has been recognized as a Milken National Educator. As a principal at the middle and high school level, Principal Kafeli has helped low-performing schools gain national recognition and is a trusted authority on effective classroom and school leadership. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, we really appreciate you taking this time to talk with us ahead of our October School Leadership Conference, which we are going to have the pleasure and benefit of hearing from you as one of our keynotes during our first ever virtual conference. Very excited about that. But thank you so much for taking some time today just to help us understand a bit more and kind of tee up the conversation for what we're gonna hear more on during the conference. To begin with, would you give us an overview of your journey, the journey that brought you to where you are today as an educator, writer, speaker? Yeah, the short short version is uh, teacher in 1988 in Brooklyn, New York City, and then loved it and decided to do it full time and came back home to Jersey and and continued it. Um, Became an award-winning teacher in a very short period of time as teacher of the year at the school district, county, and um, finalist for New Jersey State Teacher of the Year. Went on and became a principal. Did that for 14 years, but while I was doing that work, um, even as a teacher, I was writing. So I was I was writing my first books, and um, here we are up to number 11. I left my principalship in 2011 because I wanted to do this, and I wanted a larger platform to do it. I had been doing it for 30 some odd years, but um, but it was simultaneous with my principalship, so that meant weekends and summers and that type of thing, and I, I really wanted to live it. Mm-hmm. So I left in 2011, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Wow. Very cool and well-earned path, it sounds like. Thank you. So we hear about different types of gaps, achievement gap, opportunity gap. Could you explain the attitude gap? What is that? Yeah, the attitude gap, I've had a focus on attitude um, since undergraduate days in the early 80s. I, I thought that the, the whole idea of, of a positive attitude was a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. So as, as I evolved as a practitioner, as an educator, I started thinking about attitude, 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 and then with the achievement gap language and then No Child Left Behind with that language and and the pressures to close this achievement gap. At that time, they said 100% of the students by 2014. And I started attaching the word gap to attitude. And I said, it's it's the attitude gap that I want to close. I'm, I'm not concerned about the achievement gap because I want to transform attitudes because if the attitude, is, if, if I can change the attitude, then the achievement will follow was my thinking. Mm-hmm. So that's where, where I was as a teacher. That's where I was as a, as, a, as a principal. So I gave it definition. I said, the attitude gap is the gap between those students who have the will to achieve excellence in those who do not. So the, the focus was on the will. How do we tap into the will of the student? How, mm-hmm. how do we get the youngster excited about self, about learning, and about the prospects for his or her future? How, how, how do we tap into that? But then I looked at the educator and I said, that attitude has to be positive as well. So then I gave it this definition. I said, the gap between those educators who have the will to be amazing 
at their craft and those who do not. So teacher, principal, counselor, whomever, do you, have you arrived today with the will to take your practice, your game to a level previously unimagined, right? So, so having that willingness to continue to step up, step up, step up, and next thing we knew, we're, we're, we're on that path to students being where we want them to be, and ultimately we got there. And, and, and that's through a focus of, again, attitude. The youngster has to want this. And I can give you, I can, I can purchase as many uh, programs and, and models, et cetera, toward writing, toward reading, toward mathematics. But at the end of the day, if youngster is not willing to receive it, to embrace it, because I don't see the significance of it or the relevance of it to my life, then I don't care how many millions of dollars is spent for the program, that youngster is still not going to embrace it. Mm-hmm. So I said, we, we need to go here and here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as, as, as we go there, then there's a higher probability the youngster will, in fact, embrace what it is that we're, 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 mm. we're telling, so to speak. So it's almost attitude gap first, then achievement gap follows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Following the killing of George Floyd, there has been a loud call for social change, rightfully so, across the country. What guidance would you give to schools and school leaders about how to approach these types of conversations about racism and social injustice? Yeah, well, you know, I I wish I had, it's only on my PowerPoint. I have created a a definition of social justice education, but it's it's lengthy, so I, I don't have it memorized just yet. But, but here's the thing. Um, I was a social justice practitioner from the day I set foot in the classroom in 1988. And, 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 and I say that because I didn't know better, mm-hmm. right? To me, it just made sense. But I learned very quickly once I was in that classroom that I had to, figuratively speaking, peep outside to halt my classroom door to make sure the coast was clear before mm-hmm. I could engage students in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Then as principal, I had, I had to tiptoe um, continuing that practice with my staff and ultimately students. But somewhere, somewhere along the way, the world kept shifting, kept changing, kept changing. And now I could be my authentic self. Mm-hmm. So, so when we talk about rel- relative to your question, Leadership has to have the courage, the backbone, the spine, the audacity to engage staff in that tough conversation, but not necessarily bam in your face from the outset. Mm. That, that takes time because you, you have a staff that you need. So therefore, you've got you to win that staff over. You got you to you use your people skills to look at people who are in various different places politically, various different places in terms of perspective, how they see, how they see life. And, and, and you got to massage it that way so that ultimately we can have the tough conversation regardless of what side of the aisle you sit or, or just the way you see the, see, see the world. We can still have that constructive, productive conversation as staff because it relates to the children and then leave the meeting as allies, as partners, as friends, as opposed to now we've got more friction on staff than we already had. So it's, it's a tough conversation but it's a doable conversation, but the leadership has to know how to engage staff in the conversation to get it started. Mm. And that's kind of the tougher part almost, getting yeah. it started, yeah. Under your leadership, Newark Tech transformed from a low-performing school to being recognized by the uh, U.S. News and World Report magazine as one of America's best high school, three times over, in fact. What was the catalyst for this change? Tell us a little bit about how that occurred. Um, I would say first and foremost, the leadership. 
um, without patting myself on the back, but I understood that leadership was important. I, I say to anybody, I, in fact, I say to leaders every day, including today in Rhode Island, that leadership is everything. And, and, and when you, so, so when I got there, the only variable to change was me. Everybody else was who was there the years before. So the school was a low performing school, but the leadership came in with a different kind of a focus, different kind of an attitude, a vision of excellence and, and was able to, to pitch that and sell that. Mm. So as a result, um, I had a staff that believed in the vision and was able to embrace the vision as their own. And that's key. You know, as long as it's my vision, then it's not going to happen anyway. But when the vision can be shared, now, now, now there's a higher probability that we can, we can turn this thing into our reality. Mm -hmm. So the vision was shared. The students embraced the vision of what we can become. And now we were able to go to work and, and make it happen. Hmm. Very cool. You have been coined as America's discomfort speaker. Yeah, discomfort. <laughs> Hopefully you don't take offense as I'm saying this. But it's, uh, uh, I understand, because of how you force audiences or cause them to reflect upon themselves. Can you explain why this type of self-reflection is so important? Yeah, I mean, it's crucial. You know, every, every book that I've written, every article I've written, every blog post, every presentation I've created, they're all in the first person. They're all self-reflective. They're designed for the receiver, the reader, whatever it is, to look within oneself. Mm -hmm. So to contrast that with the old title of years ago, the motivator, the motivational speaker, mm -hmm. typically a motivational speaker can come into a room because I've, I've been this guy and, and, and ignite an audience. They're standing on their feet, giving you a standing ovation. They're, they're yelling your name and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they get to the parking lot, to their car, and they're not thinking about you anymore because life has resumed. So now they're, they're going on with their lives. I said, I need, I, I need content, a message, presentations, articles, books, whatever it is, that once they're read you're st or, or once I'm heard, you're still thinking about me. And, but you're thinking about, about me because I said something that made you say, ouch. I said something that stung, that hurt, right? That it pierced you. And, and, and now it's like, I, I left the keynote, I left the workshop, but this guy's in my head, right? So I said, because my intent was to create discomfort. I wanted you to feel uncomfortable with being comfortable and comfortable with being uncomfortable. So now that becomes my goal, my objective, any work I do in education, right? So, so therefore, I don't have a problem with someone leaving out of the venue upset with Principal Cafele, man, that guy. Be, be, because because if, if, it's, if, if you're upset with me because of perspective, that's different. But if you're upset with me because I made you look within, like, like I've had people say to me, principals in particular, Principal Cafele, man, you, you, you punched me in the stomach without taking a swing. You know, you, it, was a, it, was a, it was a gut punch. And I say, good, that was why I was here today, right? Mm -hmm. Or Principal Cafele, you rocked my foundation. I thought, I really thought I had a handle on this and now I'm questioning myself. I say, yeah, that's why I'm here, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not here for you to praise me. I'm here for you to look within yourself because as, as you feel that pain, so to speak, that will be the motivation or the impetus for you to bring about change to your practice. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what that's all about. Yeah. America's discomfort speaker. I'm running around America making people feel uncomfortable. 
but it's getting in there where it needs to and it's sticking instead of just, you know, falling off the minute somebody walks out the door or turns off the podcast or whatever. That's right. So I know that we are going to have the pleasure of hearing more from you in October at our own conference. And as, as I said before, very excited about that. And leading up in, until that point and after that, is there a place, a website where listeners and viewers can find out more about your work and this information that you are conveying? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, PrincipalCafele.com, K-A-F-E-L-E. PrincipalCafele.com has everything, as I tell everybody. It's not just a website. It's an institute of professional learning. So I've, I've just got a wealth of information on there that, it's, that you don't have to pay for. You just use, and and you may know that I, I do a, a virtual assistant principal leadership academy mm-hmm. every Saturday morning. It was meant to be just for the summer. You know, it's sort of a COVID thing. I'm home. Um, I'm not traveling, doing anything. So let me spend an hour every Saturday morning talking to assistant principals and aspiring assistant principals and even their their bosses, principals, assistant mm-hmm. students, and uh, superintendents. But it became so popular that I decided I'd do it year long. So we're going to do 50 week, 52 weeks of this 30 minutes each starting in September all the way through through May 1st um, of 2021. So so that's another thing I do. Somebody listening may say, oh my God, where can I, where, how can I get on? How can I join? How can I register? Nothing to register. Just go to my Facebook page at Principal Cafele or my Twitter page at Principal Cafele or my virtual assistant principal leadership page on Facebook really? or, or my YouTube channel, School Leadership Thoughts and join me at 11 Eastern every Saturday morning and I will be sitting there waiting for you. That's amazing. And that is available to everybody then. Everybody. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Well, I do want to thank you again for spending this time with us uh, today. And we will look forward to more from you in October. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keystone Education Radio is a production of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. This episode is brought to you in part by Crabtree Warbron Associates and CM Region Insurance Group. Visit our website at keyedradio.org for more information on today's discussion and past episodes. Subscribe, share, and follow us on social media so you can stay tuned in to new topics and interviews. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.